Amen. Take your Bibles. Go to Judges chapter number 2. Judges number 2 this morning. As the Lord has worked in my life the last couple of weeks, um, He has led me to different passages of Scripture that I believe are helpful in the days in which we live and also give great, give great direction uh, for our lives. And I believe we're at a text today that if we'll let it, if we'll allow it, it could be one of these texts that sparks something in you spiritually that will really help you as you move forward in your life of faith. Let's pray before we get into uh, the text this morning. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege to open it right now together. Speak to us today through it and use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of Judges is an account that we have in the Bible of how the Israelites continued to reject the Lord and worship idols. God would punish them by allowing another nation to attack and defeat them. They would cry out to God, and they would ask for help, and God would send a special leader called a judge who would come to their rescue and help them defeat their enemies. A time of peace would follow. They would remain faithful to God as long as that judge was alive, but when the judge died, they would rebel and go back to rejecting the Lord. This happened over and over and over again in the life of God's people. In fact, Judges uh, closes this way in chapter 21 and verse 25. It says that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. John MacArthur said that statement would be a fitting estimation of the moral state of our generation too. Here are statements you hear today. Uh, Here's one. Find your own truth. Follow your heart. Uh, Be yourself. Today, people believe there's no fixed moral standard that they have to obey. And and some might would say, well, you know, that's, that's the world. That's people outside. That's people that aren't here this morning but it's making its way into the church. It's making its way in here. You hear statements like, well, what the preacher said, is, that's good for him. The preacher's being a little too sensitive. The preacher's being a little too cautious. See, sadly, in the church, too many people follow the same pattern that the Israelites followed when they first entered the promised land. You see, God's people were quick to forget all that God had done for them, how He had delivered them, and they were quick to pick up the habits of those who occupied the land. A frequent complaint by Christians is this. I have a hard, they talk about the hard time they have in serving the Lord. Many are not excited about their faith, effective in their walk, or enjoying serving God. You would think attending a church, we hear the Bible preached, 
would help us to overcome sin in our lives and to remain faithful to the, you know, to the house of God and be obedient to, to His Word. But look, attending any church, I think with me, attending any church won't make any difference in whether you live a victorious life in Christ or not. It's not the church. It's not the preaching. It's not being, you know, I hear people say, well, I don't get fed. That's the oldest excuse in the book. It's not being around other Christians that will make you overcomers. Look, the only thing the church can do, the only thing I can do as a pastor, the only thing brothers and sisters in the faith can do is to encourage you, to strengthen you, to watch over you, to pray for you. We have no power. I have no power to deliver. None. If you really want victory in your life, look, if you really want to live above sin, if you really want to be excited in your faith, if you want to have the, the spiritual energy of the Holy Spirit flowing through your life, if you want your life to be anointed and full of power for Almighty God, then, then the only answer is, now listen to me, is complete abandonment from the things of this world that continually drag you down. You've heard me say, look, the answer is being all in. All in. How many believe this to be true? You can't play around with the things of this world and live in victory. You can't. It's impossible. It just doesn't work. Israel tried to do this, and they failed miserably. They failed miserably, and God's wrath had to be brought on their lives. God had delivered them from Egypt. God had brought them through the wilderness. They had crossed over the River Jordan. The old nation of rebellious and faithless Jews was supposed to have been left behind in the wilderness, and God brought a new generation across the Jordan River. Now they were to walk according to the word of the Lord, the Bible tells us, that had been given to Moses, that had been passed on to Joshua. God had told them to drive out every inhabitant of the promised land. He said, if you'll cleanse the land of every idol and every idolater, if they would cut down the groves and the altars that were built to those false gods, and if they would keep themselves pure and obedient to God's commands, God would help them be victorious. He would give them their land just as he had promised to Abraham so many years before. But did Israel listen to what God had to say? No, they didn't. You see, they only heard the part that they wanted to hear. You see, they heard the part that satisfied their own desires. They heard the part that God would give them their promised land. Truth is, everybody wants to go to heaven. 100% of us in this room want to go to heaven. 100% of us. Anybody that, that, that cares about their eternal existence wants to go to heaven when they die. This is how they were. They wanted the promised land. But see, the thing is, we want heaven. We want all the benefits that God offers. But we don't want the commitment. We don't want the sacrifice. We don't want the obedience. They heard the part about the promised land, but they never heard the part about driving out the inhabitants. At least if they did hear what God was saying, they didn't obey what God had said. Because they not only let the idolaters stay in the land, they also actually joined them in their worship of idols. 
In the book of Judges chapter 2, we read the story of what happened to Israel because they didn't listen to God. How many understand this morning that when you don't listen to God, it's a terrible thing? I think sometimes we're like little kids. We think God's going to forget. <laughs> He's not going to punish me. He's not going to deal with me, something minor. No. Nah. I want you to look at verse 2. And as for you, you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed me. Here's the title for the message today. What is this you have done? What is this you have done? I want to give you three lessons we learn from Judges chapter 2 that I think will help us today mightily. I pray that everyone will listen carefully and let God speak today. Here's the first lesson that we learn from Judges chapter 2 as we examine God's people. Sin you enjoy today will enslave you tomorrow. Sin you enjoy today will enslave you tomorrow. I want you to notice verses 7 of chapter 2. Go to verse 7 and let's read through verse 13. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua, who had seen all the great work of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Then Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the territory of his inheritance in in Timnath-Erez, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. All the generation also were gathered gathered to their fathers. And there rose another generation after them who, watch, did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them and bowed themselves down to them. Thus they provoked the Lord to anger. So they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. The people of Israel were rebellious toward God. And they found themselves enslaved to one pagan nation after another because of their sin. The Lord kept His word. He chastened His people. How many understand God chastens His kids? He chastens His children. So let's consider how they ended up where they were at. How their sin had enslaved them. The first thing is this. How did they get in this predicament? They forgot God's deliverance. Look back at verse 10. All the generations also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which He had done for Israel. We remember well, for those that have read the Bible, been in church a long time, you remember well from Genesis, uh, the story, Genesis, Exodus first couple of books of the Bible, we see the story of how God's people were in bondage for over 400 years. 
They were enslaved to the Egyptians. You know that God delivered them through the ministry of a man by the name of Moses. The Israelites see miracle after miracle. They see the plagues executed on the Egyptian people. God leads the Israelites with a cloud pillar by day and provides heat and light at night with a pillar of fire. They saw the parting. Y'all remember the parting of what sea? The Red Sea. We, we, we know this. They see this miraculous hand of God, which, by the way, all that's true. It's not just some fictitious story we're reading, right? It actually happened. They passed through the Red Sea on, on dry ground every day but Saturday. I just read this amount of oceans. Manna was, was sent from heaven to feed the Israelites. Large flocks of quails uh, lands in the Israelites' camp to provide them meat. The rock of, of Horeb produced water for them after it was struck by Moses. Would you agree God had proven himself to his people? Time and time again, God was so good to provide for them. I ask you this morning, has God been good to you? Has God been faithful to you? Our text tells us that this new generation did not know God nor the work he had done in Israel. They had forgot what God had done for his people. And many today, many in this room, have forgotten how God has worked on your, uh, in your life in miraculous ways. We fail to remember. We forget how good and faithful God has been to us over the course of our lives. I hope everybody is saved. Eric said, do you remember the day you got saved? And I just sometimes wonder, like, why, why are we so timid there? Why, why are we so just nonchalant? You do realize that you were a sinner headed for hell, living in darkness, and you were taken out of that by the blood of Christ, transferred into His marvelous light, and heaven's your home now. You do realize who you used to be outside of Christ. And now who you've been made to be in Christ. Why does that not excite us anymore? Why, is that, why isn't that enough to give us energy and our life of faith? I can tell you why. Because in our area of the world, we're all spoiled rotten. We've all been around it our whole lives. And it doesn't move us anymore like it does people over here that don't have a Bible in their own language. May God help us to get excited over being saved again. He has delivered us from the bondage of sin. He's made us alive in Christ. We are joint heirs with Christ, Paul said. Heaven's my eternal home. Excites me every day of my life. We sung that last song. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. They had forgot what God had done. They forgot God's deliverance. Notice number two. How did they end up in this predicament? They forgot God's deliverance, but they also forsook God's direction. Look at verse 11. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed themselves down to them and, the, and they provoked the Lord to anger 
So they forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtaroth. And if they had remembered Joshua, the leader who we just read about earlier has now passed, and have known his farewell speeches given to the leaders of the people of Israel found, you find those in Joshua 23 and 24. Had they known those speeches, they would have known the law of Moses. Because in his final messages, Joshua emphasized the covenant that God had made with Israel and the responsibility that Israel had to keep the covenant. Now listen very carefully. When you forget the word of God, you are in danger of forsaking the God of the word. You mark it down. When you forget the word of God, you are in danger of forsaking the God of the word. This explains why Israel turned to the vile and vicious worship of Baal. Notice verse 13 again. It says, So they forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtaroth. Christians today in the church have forsaken God's word in much of the same way that God's people did in our text. Here's the problem that they had then that we have now. They had a problem with their allegiance. They had a problem with their allegiance. You see, the Bible declares, the Bible that you have and the Bible that I have, it declares that God expects total commitment, complete abandonment. That's repentance. From the things of the world, to follow Christ. It expects total commitment. Jesus expects total commitment from his followers. How many followers? How many understand you're either in or you're out? Either in or you're out. I told the young people, it's kind of like riding a subway in New York City. You're either on or you're off. If you get stuck in the door, you're dead. Right? You know, there's, there's no straddling the fence with God, having one foot in the world and one foot in the faith, because that's very painful. You're either in or you're out. You're following him or you're not. Revelations 3, Jesus says to them, because you're lukewarm and either cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. I mean, he's not interested in lukewarmness in your life and mine. It's nauseating, it's sickening to God. You say, well, man, that's kind of a bad attitude to have. No, look, think about all God's done for you. The blood of Jesus that he shed for you on the cross demands total commitment if you want to follow him. God doesn't play the game that many today want him to play. Jesus said, look, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Sounds like Jesus said, you know what, you need to be all in in your relationship with God. It sounds like commitment. Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. Look, if you don't love me more than you love your family, then you can't be my disciple. You know, Jesus wants commitment from his followers. Is that not the truth? He wants that from us. They had a problem with their allegiance. They were not committed to God. Secondly, they had a problem with their affection. Here in Judges, God's people forsake him for idols. And in much the same way, these things are happening today. God is not only is not the only God 
for many sitting in church pews. All kinds of things are more important than being here. All kinds of things in your life are more important than opening the Bible and letting it speak to you each day. Um, and some, for some of us, our spouse is an idol. Our spouse, we worship more than we worship God. Now, Jesus said you ought to hate your spouse. You can be my disciple if you hate your spouse. If your love for me, in comparison to you love, your love for your spouse, doesn't look like hate, you can't follow me. That's a pretty strong statement, wouldn't you say? Many of us worship our spouse and neglect our Savior. Many of us worship our kids and neglect our Savior. Many, many of us worship our, our, our hobbies and neglect our Savior. Many of us worship our, our favorite sports team, isn't that true, and worship our Savior. You know, there's so many things, many of us worship our careers. There's so many things in our life we could point to that I worship other than Jesus because it takes his place. Look, anything that causes you in your life to neglect something God has called you to do is an idol, period. It's something you're putting ahead of Jesus, and in that moment, you're bowing to something else other than Christ. May God convict our hearts and shake us up and wake us up before his wrath has to be poured out on us. They had a problem with their allegiance. They weren't committed. They had a problem with their affection. In our text, we hear this heartbreaking question from God to his people. So you've not obeyed me. Why have you done this? Why have you done this? Like you can almost sense the disappointment of God in, his, in the mood there. I've done so much for you. You've seen the miracles I've performed on your behalf. You've seen how I have provided for you and protected you. You've seen everything that I have done to bring you through 400 years of bondage. Why can't you commit to me? What else do I have to do to show you how much I love you more than anybody else ever can? Why have you done this? Often I wonder that same thing about the church. Why, why do we mess with all the stuff of the world when God loves us so much? And I wrote this question down because it kept coming up in the text. What was so alluring about Baal? Why did God's people continually fall into Baal worship? Why was that a problem? Here's why. And I think you'll see a big correlation to today's maybe biggest idol. The worship of Baal and Ashtoreth held the allure of illicit sex. Since the religion involved ritual prostitution. When you look at Numbers 25, this is exactly what you see in the incident of Baal of Peor. It says, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifice of their gods. It was during this episode that an Israelite by the name of Zimri brazenly brought a Midianite woman into the camp, went straight to his tent where the two began having sex. That's why Israel was so drawn to the worship of Baal. Another reason that the worship of Baal and Ashtoreth was a perennial problem was due to what we call national peer pressure. 
Israelites wanted to be like the other nations around them. They wanted to kind of fit in, if you will. The other nations worshipped Baal and Asher, and so many of the Israelites felt the pull to do the same thing. Look, and we can't overlook the fact of Satan's temptation and mankind's sinfulness as to why they worship Baal. The enemy of our souls, the devil. Hey, look, you realize that Satan's your enemy this morning. Look, Satan wants nothing good for you. Not a thing. He's out to destroy every person in this room. He wants you looking at your phone right now. He wants you having your mind on all kinds of other stuff you need to do to keep your mind off of what Judges 2 is telling us because he wants to wreck your life. Is exactly what he wants to do. He's the God of this world. There's a lot he can give you. There's a lot he can do for you. He can even make you rich. Just ask some of our popular pop and rock and country music artists in the industry who've sold their soul to the devil. He's the God of this world. And he's not in much that we see today in the church. Or he's not in, there's nothing in the world that we see that he's not involved in in some ways, what I'm trying to say. He's the God. He controls it. He's after believers. He is your enemy. And no doubt, he was tempting the Israelites with the worship of Baal. You see, the sacrifices made to Baal and Astra, now listen to me, were really sacrifices made to demons. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us. You see, the stubborn willfulness of humanity works in tandem with Satan's sanctions and causes us to jump at any chance to rebel against God. Satan's everywhere today, him and his demons, doing all he can to deceive people. During the Super Bowl halftime show, if you enjoyed that, shame on you, you need to repent. Rihanna's being used of the devil, all kinds of symbolic imagery, I was told. I didn't watch it but all kinds of some satanic symbolic imagery used throughout that show. Millions upon millions watching the Super Bowl, many enjoying her halftime performance, being used of the devil. Look, sex is probably the number one idol in our country. It's wrecking families in the church. It's wrecking marriages, adultery, fornication, pornography, you name it. It's out there. It's everywhere. Our young people are being inundated with it every single day of their life. And the devil's behind it all. And would you agree that as the church, we got to remain diligent about where our allegiance and affections are? Or we're going to do the same thing that the Israelites do. We're going to fake, forsake God for Baal. Look, sin you enjoy today will enslave you tomorrow. You mark it down. You mark it down. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to stop and chase this rabbit. You can't hide it from anybody. You can't. You can't hide it. You, know, you may can try to hide it from your wife, from your church family, but God knows it all. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the good and the evil. So God knows our hearts. Look, and there will be no revival. There will be no refreshment from God. Hey, you know what the first thing that happens is? You know, I'm not trying to be a skeptic, 
but I don't get excited about every movement I hear about that's going on, so, so to speak, in the name of God. Because you know what the first thing that happens is when God shows up in a supernatural way and people are, are aware of the presence of God? The first thing that happens is they're aware of their own sinfulness. If repentance of sin is not happening, God ain't within 100 yards of that. Because God's holy. Y'all remember what, what Isaiah said when he come into the presence of God? He says, I am undone and a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Y'all, y'all remember that? John fell on his face in Revelations. Look, when God shows up, people are on their faces in, in, this, uh, in a spirit of humility uh, because of their sinfulness that they are recognizing how sinful they are, and repentance is happening. I think it's time we focus on our own sin and quit focusing on the sin of other people. And I believe God would really do something if we do that. I'm sorry, but the Lord's keeping me here for a minute. Can I ask you, what sin have you confessed this week? What sin have you confessed since you, before you walked in that door? Confession is not a part of most believers' lives. Because I, I think we really think that we're, we're good. I really think that we, you know, we, we, we've got it together. But are we not neglecting what Jesus' instruction was when he told us to forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us? I don't know about you, but in some way I struggle with the flesh every single day. I struggled with the flesh yesterday and had to confess some things, some attitudes that I allowed myself to embrace. But things will begin to change in your life when you recognize your own sinfulness and the holiness of God and you allow yourself to approach your sin each day of your life and deal with it. Look, sin you enjoy. Look, the devil wants you enjoying it, not confessing it. The sin you enjoy today will enslave you tomorrow. Mark it down. Number two, consequences always follow choices. Consequences always follow choices. We know in Hebrews 12, 6, the Bible says, Whom the Lord loves, He chastens. And he scourges every son whom he receives. I'm thankful that when I'm disobedient, God goes after me. That proves I'm his child. Because he loves me. He goes after me. He disciplines me. When God's people are unfaithful, when they place other gods ahead of them, he disciplines them to lead them to repentance back to him. We see in verses 14 and 15, number one, we see his chastisement. Look, it says, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he gave them into the hands of plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies around them so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had spoken, and as the Lord had sworn to them, so that they were severely distressed. They were severely distressed. When Israel went out to fight their enemies, they were defeated, listen, because God wasn't with them. God wasn't with them. This is what Moses said would happen, but that isn't all. Israel's enemy eventually became their masters. Again, sin and slaves. God permitted one nation after another to invade his people and enslave them, making life completely miserable 
for them. I just wonder if so many Christians today are not excited about their faith because God's chastening is on their life and they're miserable. Because how many understand when daddy whoops you, it's not a pleasant experience. It's not. Tell you a little funny story. Tyler got in trouble the other day and he went and hid from me. He knew when daddy got home that it was on like Donkey Kong. Some stupid old saying. Uh, I got home, I, you know, when you did, how many understand when you discipline your kids, you do it in love, right? Never, 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 never deal with your kids when you're angry. Never. Never goes well. But I got home, walked to his room. Of course, I saw where he was at, but he didn't think, you know, he was under his covers in his bed. He tried to make it look like nobody was there. I'm telling you, hey, look, what does that? The sin nature does that. I tell you, you don't have to teach all that kind of stuff. But chastening's not pleasant when our father is disappointed by our behavior. The Israelites were completely miserable. If they had obeyed God, they would have been victorious. They chose to disobey God, and they found themselves defeated and humiliated. God was angry because of their worship of another God. The Bible tells me that I am the Lord, it says in Malachi, and I change not. So from Judges 2, has God changed? Not. So the anger of the Lord is still kindled when his people choose to worship another God. I wonder what emotions God is experiencing today as he watches the church of America. As he watches people not listen to his word and forsake his ways. We see his chastening, but number two, we see his compassion. Look at verse 16. Then the Lord raised up judges who delivered them from the hands of those who plundered them, yet they did not listen to their judges, for they played the harlot after other gods and bowed themselves down to them. They turned aside quickly from the way in which their fathers had walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do as their fathers. When the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge, for the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed and afflicted them. But it came about when the judge died that they would turn back and act more corruptly than their fathers in following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not abandon their practices or their stubborn ways. It's amazing to me that we see God's, in God's chastening, we see, still see his care, his love, and his compassion for his people in raising up a judge who would deliver them. And then we see their stubbornness again and again as they go back to doing what they were doing before. But God's long-suffering and he gives chance after chance. But one thing we have to wrestle with and one you have to understand as we look at the Bible is eventually God's patience runs out. Eventually it's over. It's over. Look at, I want you to notice number three. Look, rebellion always leads to ruin. Look at verses 20 through 23. So the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. And he said, because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and has not listened to my voice. Terrible, terrible. Verse 21, I also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died. 
in order to test Israel by them whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk in it as their fathers did or not. So the Lord allowed those nations to remain, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. If you continue reading in Judges, you find that as the nations overtake them, it leads to them again being enslaved and serving other nations. Rebellion leads to ruin. God had warned the Israelites in Joshua 23 that if they abandoned him and followed other gods, he would no longer fight for them. And he keeps that promise here. And we serve a loving, long-suffering God, and I'm thankful that he's patient with me, but we serve a God who must deal with sin. He must judge sin. In Romans 1.18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, Paul writing to the church. The wrath of God is a subject we don't like talking about in church. You see it avoided. That's not popular to talk about. We don't see many books today on the wrath of God. Because we want everybody to just feel warm and fuzzy all the time about their faith. I'm thankful God is love, but we must understand that His wrath is just as much a part of the gospel as His love is. And we have to understand, and the wrath that we see exhibited by God in our text is when he turns his back on this society. It's the wrath of abandonment. To me, it's one of the most tragic scenes in Scripture. And to provide a good illustration of that, you just have to think about Samson, the strongest man who ever lived, who got involved with the woman he shouldn't have got involved with, and she gets him to disclose the secret to his strength. And when he's asleep, she says, and after she's cut his hair, the Philistines are upon us. Here's what the Bible says. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. He did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Rebellion leads to ruin. We know how that story ends. They gouged out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. Eventually, he ended up taking his own life as he pulled the pillars down when he regained his strength and pulled the building down on everyone there. Because of his sin, it says the Lord had departed from him. The judgment of abandonment. To the sons of Israel, God has said in Judges 10, You have forsaken me and served other gods, therefore I will deliver you no more. Go and cry out to the gods you've chosen. Let them deliver you in the time of your distress. God is saying, I've had enough. I've had enough. Look, his patience eventually wears out. See, God eventually says to those who will continually rebel against him, have it your way. Have it your way. You've made your choice. And he abandons them to that choice. And church, would you agree, what a dangerous choice to make. What needs to happen today, what's the answer? When we sin, we make poor choices when we choose other things other than God, what must we do? We repent. We get on our faces before God and we repent. We ask God to change us. We ask God to build something in us for His glory. To forgive us of Him not being the priority of our lives. To forgive us of our stubbornness. In Psalms 106, 47 As he reviewed the period of the judges, here's what the psalmist said, and I think we need to pray this this morning. He said, Save us, O Lord our God, 
and gather us from among the Gentiles to give thanks to your holy name, to triumph in your praise. Let's stand for prayer this morning. Father, this morning we thank you for the warning of Scripture. God, as it was inspired of the Holy Spirit to be written for us to examine this account in Judges 2 today. And God, if there's a spirit today that needs to sweep your church, I believe it's the spirit of repentance. Father, it's true that more of the world may be in us then more of you is in us. God, help us to serve you with complete abandonment, total commitment, forsaking the ways of the world, to honor you in our lives and make an eternal difference in the lives of other people, to be used of you to reach others with the gospel. Father, I'm thankful for your love that you exhibited through Christ on the cross who died for all sin. God, you've done everything for us needed to be redeemed, to be in heaven. And God, how often we take that for granted, we forget that, and we do our own thing in our lives, and God, that's wrong, it's, it's sinful. So God, help us today to take things seriously that we've heard, not to make excuses, but God, allow the spirit of repentance to begin in us. Every head bowed and every eye closed just for a moment. The only... Look, we, we need God to move in our day and time. We do. God's not finished. That's why we're still here. You're still here. God's not done. He's not finished with you. If I could this morning, if there'd be a couple, a few, many... Christians who are concerned about the times in which we live, not, not, not necessarily in the world from the world's perspective, but concerned about things as, as you see within the lives of, of yourself and other believers and the spirits of complacency and apathy and, and no, no energy. Can I get some today who would say, I'm going to get around the altar today and I'm going to beg God. I want to pray for God to do something special within our church, within my life and my family. Let it begin with us. But you come today, let God deal with you and beg God to do something special among His church in these days. Among our church in these days. I encourage you this morning to come as Brother Eric leads us. If you don't know Christ today, I encourage you, please be saved. God loves you. He loves you. He wants to be your master and Lord. He'll change you. Please be saved today. Call on Jesus for salvation. Repent of sin. Follow Him with your life. I promise you, when you stand in eternity, you won't regret that decision. As Brother Eric sings, we've already had one come today. Can I get some Christians around this altar today?
begging God to do something in a special way in your life and the life of our church. Maybe there's some repentance that needs to happen in your life today. Father, thank you for your word. Speak to hearts, continue to convict, and help us, God, not to just be convicted, but God, to respond in obedience to that conviction. Help us today, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. I encourage you to come as Brother Eric sings. All to Jesus I surrender all to Him I freely give I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily Thank you for speaking to hearts today. We give you thanks. We give you praise. And it's in Jesus' precious and in his wonderful name, all of God's people said, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, we're going to go right into our meeting today. Uh, before that, I'm going to come down here and give this fellow a hug. I've been praying for this guy.